Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride, and I'm here to bring you another new podcast series that we're going to be doing this season. If you're familiar with SB Nation, then you've probably seen the Behind the Enemy Lines articles that just about every site puts out every game week. So for you podcasting folks, I'm going to bring this column over to the audio side of things. And today, my first guest is going to be Spencer Schultz from Baltimore Beatdown to talk about the Ravens ahead of the Monday night football season opener, baby. Feels so good to be saying that. Now, in full disclosure, we are recording this after the cutdown deadline on August 31st. And while I don't anticipate anything changing or something major happening that changes what we're talking about here today, but if there is, on the off chance that there is, please keep that in mind as you listen to this. Now, enough of me. I've already been talking too much. Spencer, how you doing, my man? Doing quite well. As you mentioned, Matt, the uh, roster cutdowns are coming in hot. And yes. I saw, you know, Smokey Brown getting released by uh, good old, good old Vegas now. Oh, yeah, hard to say. Right, yeah. hard, to, hard to spit out Vegas still. We're still in that, uh, that second year of it. But some interesting cuts. The Ravens making some, some interesting moves as well. So I'm excited by that. And it means that, hey, preseason's over. And that means the regular season's here. So I'm excited. Exactly. I mean, you bring it up. I'm, like, I'm just curious. Let's talk. Let's start out talking a little bit more generally. Now that we've had, we've had the draft, full offseason, a few preseason games. What are your thoughts about the Ravens heading into the season? What are your expectations for the team? Is this, uh, is this the year they get over the, the hump and make that Super Bowl run? I don't think it's the year they make a Super Bowl run. And a Super Bowl run has so many variables in terms of health, but it also has to have, it uh, feels like it has to have a, a certain level of blue chip talent that I don't think the Ravens have quite yet. They do have Lamar, obviously they have Marlon Humphrey. They have Ronnie Stanley who is working his way back from injury and hopefully is able to play at an elite level. But typically on a championship team, you look at, you know, the bucks, you look at the chiefs, you look at the Patriots have passed. They're going to be like seven, eight blue chip players on those teams. I don't think the Ravens quite have that. I think they are primed to make a more legitimate postseason run they had a really wide split last year in terms of defensive spending versus offensive spending, defensive veterans versus offensive veterans, a lot of youth on offense and a lot of experience on defense. I think that led to a little bit of a lopsided uh, roster configuration and the Ravens kind of balance that out. They bring in Kevin Zeitler, they bring in Alejandro Villanueva, they bring in Sammy Watkins. So add a couple of veterans in those ways and they round out their offensive line, you know, moving Bradley Bozeman over to center, uh, getting Ronnie Stanley back. They also pick up Josh Oliver from the Jaguars. It's been a really under-the-radar move that I think can pay off dividends for them. So I like the Ravens to, to be pushing for the playoffs. They have had this dark cloud of COVID and some meteor or medium kind of moderate injury level. They do lose J.K. Dobbins, which does hurt, but they do have Gus Edwards. They've got Tyson Williams and Justice Hill. So running back one of the more easy positions to replace, especially considering how good the Ravens rushing attack is. You can kind of plug and play an average guy and have them look good considering how many yards are expected per carry on a basis of, uh, you know, average in the Ravens offense, as opposed to let's say the 16th best rushing attack or the median rushing attack. So I think that the defense is going to be really strong. Again, generally they return many of their starters. They have solid depth. The only areas of concern kind of heading into the training camp area 
were pass rushing ability after losing, obviously, Yannick Ngakwe, who we'll talk about, Matt okay. Judon, and uh, they kind of played it by ear a little bit. They ended up bringing in Justin Houston, which was a $2 million deal. Apparently, Houston wanted to be in Baltimore all along. They also drafted Dafe away, as well as Dalen Hayes. Rookies looked really strong, and I thought fell a little bit too far in the draft and should be able to be a nice rotational player. So they've got some pass rush, and they're going to be able to, to give some different looks. And I think they have a really versatile unit defensively yet again that will be able to help them kind of keep the competitive edge early in the season, especially once they start playing some teams like Detroit and Denver and a couple of teams like that. But offense might take some time to find some rhythm. And I think that the defense will be able to kind of hold fort and uh, brave the storm, so to speak, as the season starts out with a, a tough road game and then a tough game at home with Kansas City coming to Baltimore. Yeah, that's a tough two, uh, two matchups back-to-back. I mean, talk about the Raiders and then the, the uh, Chiefs who get your AFC West fix right off the back. And then, uh, but yeah, you brought up Josh Oliver. You know, that was when uh, we were doing research for the show, I completely missed that uh, signing and obviously beat a Bay Area guy, Josh Oliver fan. So I'm curious to see what they're going to do with him and like those TE set, two TIN sets with, uh, with Mark Andrews. But I kind of want to go back to Lamar Jackson's rookie season when he was taking the league by storm. And it kind of, and no one really seemed to have an answer for him until the playoffs when then Chargers defensive coordinator and now Raiders uh, defensive coordinator Gus Bradley had a pretty good game plan for him. And one of the things that always stood out to me about that game that Bradley did is he put, you know, the more athletic guys in the box to kind of match Jackson's athleticism like a Derwin James. So I'm curious if that's something that you've noticed teams still do to defend against Lamar and is it still effective? And maybe like if you were a defensive coordinator, how would you try and stop that guy? Well, that's a great question. And considering Gus Bradley being a new addition and hopefully able to turn things around for the Raiders who have struggled to to field a truly competitive defense in the last couple of years. And what was interesting, not only about what Gus Bradley did, which was use a lot of dime, a lot of five, six DB or safety looks to try and crowd the field. But number one in that kind of defense or in that, uh, that wild card matchup, pardon me, It was a tough situation because the Chargers had just played the Ravens and lost to them two weeks prior in Carson. And it was quite difficult for the Ravens who had Greg Roman come in as a tight ends coach and kind of an offensive assistant. And they had some packages for Lamar Jackson. They ended up running a lot more of a very basic zone read scheme, uh, sprinkled in some RPOs and uh, had some, some pretty just standard kind of run concepts, some leads, some ISO, some, uh, you know, just pretty normal stuff inside zone. And it felt like that package got expanded, but not a ton in two weeks. And so the, gotcha. the chargers were able to line up Derwin James in the box. Not only who I think this question was asked uh, earlier somewhere in the Twitter sphere. If you had to pick one defender in the NFL to, to corral more, Lamar Jackson in open space, who would it be my pick is Derwin James. I think he's got the mm. length. I think he has the, the raw speed, the movement ability, and the just pure aggression. Uh, Derwin James will miss some tackles from time to time, whatever. This isn't a, a Chargers show. We don't have to get too into Derwin James. <laughs> but Joey Bosa was also a factor in that game. So you're lining up Derwin James right to the outside of outside shade of Joey Bosa. You're going to have Joey Bosa collapsing as the unblocked defender with Derwin James playing the quarterback on a read option. Not, you know, the counter scheme, mm-hmm. the counter bash, the quarterback power, whatever you want to call it. You're lining up a basic zone read scheme. Those are probably two of the very best defenders, one to crash and two to play Lamar Jackson, that there are. And going even further, Melvin Ingram, the Chargers took, they lined him up over the Ravens left guard, who was James Hurst. 
and Mark or uh, Melvin Ingram absolutely whooped James Hurst. James Hurst gets pulled out of the game. Then rookie Bradley Bozeman gets put in. Guess what? Melvin Ingram keeps whooping him. <laughs> uh, I think Lamar Jackson got hit 11 times in that game. So the, the, you know, there's three fumbles in a row. Uh, Kenneth Dixon fumbled twice. And I believe Gus Edwards fumbled as well in like a five play sequence for the Ravens. They lost two of them. Uh, so that's, that's never going to be good, <laughs> but what ended up happening True. there, the chargers, you know, took a lead. They started to play some cover four. They dropped back into quarters and then Lamar Jackson started picking them apart, which is what people always forget about that game. He threw for like 180 yards and two touchdowns right. ended up having the ball with 50 seconds left. No timeouts on the chargers or on the Ravens 40 yard line with a chance to go win the game with a touchdown. And a lot of people forget that. So uh, I do think that Gus Bradley did a great job of, of lining up two fantastic athletes and having a plan for it. But at the same time, the Ravens run game since then is an entirely different beast from what it gotcha. was. They don't run a ton of zone read anymore. They run a lot more uh, pin and pull type option right. concepts. They run a lot more quarterback bash, things like that. So it is a, uh, a very difficult question to answer. But uh, <laughs> I, I would just say the general best game plan is to go into a too high structure. And if you want to play that at a nickel, that's fine. I, I would prefer, you know, being able to run whatever the Ravens are going to get you in, you know, that's, that's a problem. We'll get into Josh Oliver more when we talk more about the Ravens offense, but that's a problem that presents when you can put a Josh Oliver and a Mark Andrews on the field in a, a two tight end set and a 12 personnel or in a 22 personnel, because they can go empty out of it. And if you put base on the field, they're going to be able to, to go empty, to throw the ball. And if you put a, uh, a nickel on the field, they're going to, they're going to go under center. They're going to go into pistol and they're going to run the ball down your throat and make a safety play like a linebacker. But I do think crowding between the numbers playing in a too high structure where you have safeties that have better vision that can fill on each side. And what you want to do is you want to ask the Ravens to beat you on the outside in the perimeter passing game, which has been the, uh, the answer to get the Ravens out in the playoffs while Lamar Jackson doesn't seem to really love any of his outside targets. They've lacked, you know, Mark Andrews, a big body. And, and that's definitely Lamar's number one target. But he doesn't play on the outside. He plays in the slot. He plays in, in line. So uh, now they go out, they get Sammy Watkins. They go out, they get Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace. They have Josh Oliver as well now, as I mentioned. So they've got some better perimeter options. Actually, out of, uh, I believe, uh, 45 passes thrown to wide receivers that were on, in boundary alignments, meaning the outside wide receiver in the formation, an X or a Z, Marquise Brown had 33 of those targets. So they were, if Marquise Brown is lined up out wide, he's the only one that's getting the ball. Miles Boykin has had a lot of trouble the last couple of years, particularly last year. So they've really lacked competent and especially physical play on the boundary, which is why a guy like Brian Edwards, who uh, Mike Mayock <laughs> drafted last year, someone that I was really targeting in the draft last year is a good fit for the Ravens. And it's also why I thought Hollywood Brown was a little bit of a strange fit when they drafted him in 2019. But uh, I do think that the Gus Bradley plan can, can work to an extent, but if the Ravens are able to, effectively use their boundary receivers and guys like Devin Duvernay as well, then it's going to present an entire new set of problems and it's going to be a pick your poison. And that's what you have to ask the Ravens to do. They have one of the best rushing attacks in NFL history over the last two years. You don't want them to run the ball. You want them to throw it. So if the Ravens are able to take the low hanging fruit and throw to the outside and they beat you that way, that's what you want to live with, especially in week one. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that brings up an interesting point. Like when I know you're talking about like, you know, having safeties that can kind of have that vision. It seems like, kind of a little bit what we were talking about from at the beginning of like having those athletes on the field. You know, you mentioned the Joey Bosa, the Derwin James. So I'm curious if you kind of think, you know, and maybe this is a question we answer together. If you kind of think the Raiders have that, have the personnel to be able to do that. And, you know, when you're talking about it, my mind started working is, 
you know, I think about a guy like Tanner Muse and a guy like Divine Diablo, who both, you know, converted college safeties. Granted, you know, their transitions to the NFL hasn't been the smoothest, smoothest with the uh, Muse getting hurt and Diablo also spending time on, uh, on the injured list this year in the training camp. So I'm just curious if you think the Raiders can kind of match up well. How do you think they're be able to execute what you were talking about as far as slowing that guy down? Yeah, I think Trevon Merrig is a key player there. I am uh, not sure what his situation throughout camp has been or what yeah. his back has been. I have he's been, I'm not in tune there. Yeah. Yeah, he's been he- he's been healthy all camp. Um yeah, everything that's kind of been uh everything that's kind of been said about him has been been positive for the most part. The only the only uh the only potential issue is he's kind of been playing a lot more of that that one high alignment and more of the free safety, so a little bit further from the box. But yeah, I definitely think Merrick was another guy, you know, I I I was comped into like a poor man's Derwin James, who we were talk, just talking about, obviously. So I, I feel like uh, you're kind of, yeah, it's definitely someone who can, uh, who can impact the game there. For sure. Merrick is a player that I had my eye on for Baltimore with Deshaun Elliott heading into last year of his contract. I think Merrick is a, a confident player coming downhill and takes good pursuit angles. He's not some huge hitter and, you know, he doesn't quite have the, the physical kind of presence that Derwin James has, but I think he can be a factor because of speed there. I think he's quite underrated in terms of uh, what he did at his pro day in uh, having a bad back. He was a guy at a first round grade on. He was my clear cut number one safety. Tanner Muse, I think is interesting. Uh, I feel like he can play a little bit too undisciplined at times in terms of executing assignments. So I think he's a player that might be able to take, be taken advantage of to an extent. And uh, the other, the other player that I really like in the Raiders depth chart Uh, You mentioned Divine Diablo, who I think is going to be an outstanding tight end matchup player. And I think he could definitely help in the box. But also Cleland Farrell, I think, would be good in a matchup against Baltimore. He is such a strong run defender of such heavy hands, uh, maybe trying to line him up inside. So I mentioned Melvin Ingram a couple of years ago for the Chargers. And since Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe seem like guys are going to be taking a ton of snaps and maybe uh, Farrell doesn't quite fit into a Gus Bradley defense. Like, uh, you know, my podcast always like to say, uh, players, you want to fit your scheme like a square hole and a square peg, but sometimes you end up, you know, taking over for another GM or another coach and you've got a, you know, a round peg and a square hole and it doesn't <laughs> quite work out. But I think that if you line up Farrell inside, I think that's a really interesting matchup, especially over Bozeman or over uh, whoever the Ravens trot out at left guard, whether it's going to be Tyree Phillips, uh, Patrick McCaw, or excuse me, Ben Powers or, Ben Cleveland. And right now it feels like it might be Ben Powers starting week one. That's that's a couple weeks out still. But I think those are all interesting players. And I think that'd be a good way for the Raiders to take advantage of Cleveland Farrell's skill set and maybe overwhelm someone inside to make plays. I'm going to have to warn you a little bit there, Spencer. You might get about 20 Raider fans in your mentions for bringing up Cleveland Farrell. That, that's like a no-no over there. But no, I mean, I think you bring up a good point. Like I've kind of talked about it a little bit too, of moving that guy inside and see what he can do. So I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not in the camp of a, a Cleveland Farrell, Cleveland Farrell hater. So it's nice to hear somebody else from the opposition, you know, actually kind of a little worried about that guy and a little uh, worried about having a game plan. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. For sure. I really like Farrell coming out of the draft. He's got huge hands. I think he has a ton of stopping power in those hands and he's able to shock lock and get vision to ball carriers. And when you're asking somebody to go tackle a Gus Edwards, a 240 pound back, who's going to be carrying the you know rb1 workload in all likelihood starting out especially he's the kind of guy that can do that uh he hasn't come along as a pass rusher he's not the twitchiest of athletes and i understand you know a lot of raiders fans were upset about you know uh josh allen being available and some of the other options i I didn't hate the feral pick hasn't turned out to uh, make me look like a genius so (laughs) take that with a grain of salt but i think cleveland feral is a guy that could absolutely be a factor in the run game especially on first down especially on second down on third and short 
but he hasn't really been able to take over as a uh, true pass rusher. It kind of reminds me of ways of Jalen Ferguson, who the Ravens have on their roster. He just made the 53-man roster. He's been, you know, the media bubble player defensively, so to speak. So uh, I think they have a little bit similar skill set. They can bull rush. They can lock out against the run. They can run pretty well, especially crashing backside in pursuit. You know, if the Ravens want to run some outside zone and Farrell's on the the backside of it, I I like him more than Yannick Ngakwe against the run. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't anticipate Ngakwe having a terribly great impact, especially against the run for the Raiders against the Ravens in week one. Ngakwe is a player we will talk about and we'll get into a little further, but, you know, I think there's definitely alignments and assignments that I would prefer Farrell in from, from what I saw last year. And I only watched maybe like five or six Raiders games in full. So I'm sure there was plenty of bad tape that Raiders fans hate and they want him to be a big sack guy, but Hey, it's not who he is. And again, you don't want to, you don't want to look at a guy who's much more effective against the run and be mad that he's not a good pass rusher. Sometimes you got to appreciate guys for what they are. And, but it's hard to do that when you take someone at the top of the draft and they don't turn out to be the high level impact pro bowl type guy like Farrell. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head with Cleveland, but I mean, like you said, against the Ravens, you know, especially the Ravens that are running a lot of, a lot of, a lot of play action, a lot of kind of boots, you know, maybe subbing in a guy that's a little better against the run for a guy that's more of a pass rusher. It isn't the, isn't the worst game plan for week, for week one for the Raiders. So you, you talked about a, yeah, I mean, you talked about uh, Gus Edwards for a little bit, so I kind of want to explore that a little bit more. You know, obviously, one of the biggest news coming from Baltimore in the last few weeks, or the last week, I should say, is uh, J.K. Dobbins tearing his ACL. Is Do you think Gus Edwards can be that kind of feature back, or is there someone else? Like, how are you feeling about the Ravens running back depth? I know you talked a little bit about that at the top of the show. I have been a huge, huge proponent for Gus Edwards ever since he came up along with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's first start, was Gus Edwards uh, first game activated to the active roster as a UDFA out of Rutgers. He was actually the number one fullback in the country in high school. Uh, He was the, I think he was a four-star fullback ends up at Rutgers. Uh, So it was a little bit (laughs) of an interesting story. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's a little bit of an interesting story there, but Gus Edwards has developed so much in the past game in pass pro and as a receiver over the last two years, Saw him come on late. He had a big game against the Giants downfield. I think he caught like a seam pass that turned into a little bit of a broken play about 35 yards downfield. He also had a nice toe tap on the sideline where him and a Giants defender might have been Xavier McKinney or kind of both trying to high point the ball. Edwards toe taps inbounds, gives him a little stiff arm, runs and rumbles, breaks three tackles, runs for about uh, 15 yards after the catch, if not more. So Edwards, what he is best at is power situations and that's defined as on uh, football outsiders is third or fourth and two or shorter edwards over the last decade has the highest conversion rate in power situations of any running back ezekiel elliott i think is uh, about three percent away at like 86 percent edwards is up towards 90 percent so edwards is incredible in those situations he does have cutability in his own scheme he's done really well in power concepts he was nasty on uh, bashes in in 2020 and and doing some of those different things. So the number one thing I think the Ravens are losing with J.K. Dobbins that Gus Edwards doesn't necessarily possess is a little bit of pass catching ability, a little bit of ability to split out wide and be a matchup guy, but also just the home run threat speed. Uh, Edwards doesn't quite have that fifth gear like Dobbins has to take something 70 yards and, and take it to the house. So you miss that, but at the same time, how many of those happen a year? You know, two, maybe three. Uh, and Edwards can rumble for 30, 40 yards. I think he has about 12 of those carries in his career. So it's, it's definitely a devastating loss in the sense that it's really nice having two backs that can keep each other fresh. 
And having that, that sort of uh, split ability to rely on Dobbins if Gus is a little bit beat up or rely on, you know, vice versa. If one of the guys is beat up or one of the guys, you know, has a, has a low point for a couple of games, there, reaches a slump or has an ankle or something and is working back. So uh, I, I think that Gus Edwards is going to have to man this entire workload and that's going to wear him down. So I think it's going to hurt later in the year, but Edwards came into camp. Uh, he missed the first 10 days because of COVID, but boy, I'll tell you, I was out at Ravens training camp and that man looked lean, <laughs> fast, sharp. He's looked outstanding in the preseason. Uh, if you, if you're a fantasy player, if you're a DraftKings player, I'm a huge DraftKings DFS guy, man, Gus Edwards might not be that cheap uh, or might not be that expensive to start the season. I bet he's probably going to be a 6,500, 7,500 uh, dollar guy in DFS. And I bet you can probably get him in the third or fourth round of your fantasy draft as an RB two. I think it's gonna be great value. Uh, they also have Tyson Williams, who's come on strong. Matt Waldman, who does the rookie scouting portfolio. I think he also does work with Sports Illustrated as well. If you're a big NFL draft fan, I would definitely recommend Matt's work. He's outstanding. Great follow on Twitter as well. And he was huge on Tyson Williams, who was a back that started out at South Carolina. He ended up getting hurt, transferring to uh, BYU, getting hurt there as well. The Ravens snag him off of the uh, UDFA wire after the draft. And he was talking about this guy like... The league messed up letting the Ravens get him. This is a bad idea. And we didn't get a preseason last year to see that. So it was kind of like, okay, you know, I, I trust Matt. I think he's got a, a good perspective. So we'll see what happens with this guy. You know, maybe a little cautiously optimistic. Tyson Williams was the number one by far standout. If you're looking to, to create a narrative on any player being the, the Hercules of the Ravens preseason, far and away was Tyson Williams outstanding balance game. He displayed pass pro. He displayed receiving ability, split out wide, ran a, a seven step hitch, came around high pointed the ball through contact, got a contested catch in. Uh, I think he had five catches in one game, had a really nice uh, end of half sequence where he kind of made somebody miss in the flats as a check down gets 15 yards, gets out of bounds. Uh, he he's been dynamic in short yarded situations. He's been really a godsend for a team that ends up losing uh, JK Dobbins right now. And I do think the Ravens might need to add a third back beyond that. But, uh, ultimately I think that Tyson Williams is, is going to be a factor as well. So they'll miss JK, but they'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you bring up Matt Waldman and I mean, one of the things that I've always known Matt for is he's kind of that big running back guy, right? Like he was, I know he's, uh, was one of the Spot first on. guys on Nick Chubb. And so, I mean, to get his endorsement, that definitely raised a lot of weight for me as well. And I'm just curious, you know, when I always think of Gus Edwards, I kind of think of that guy that's like, kind of uh kind of run downhill and at 240 or whatever he's weighing in at now i mean hard as hell to bring down but uh i'm just curious if like the the inverted veer is still a big part of the uh the ravens offense and if if you think uh maybe tyson williams would be more that guy that kind of takes the outside runs and that kind of stuff from what i'm hearing because that's never really i felt like it's never really been uh edward's strength when his shoulders are pointed to the sideline instead of just coming straight downhill I disagree there. I think that is a narrative that kind of gets put forth because of the the physicality that he has but he has been outstanding on uh, outside run concepts. And, and I absolutely get it from an outsider perspective, but Edwards on quarterback bashes, which stands for back away where the Ravens will pull, let's say usually uh, the Ravens actually run power to the right at an anomaly level, probably 97% of their, their power man gap concepts are to the right. But anyway, Edwards has done an outstanding job as the lone back being in space one-on-one. -on -one. I think he's a lot faster. I think he is able to contort his body a lot better than people give him credit for. And I do think he has enough speed and feel for space to, to be effective. And uh, he, he can really do it all, man. I, I can't say how, how impressive Gus Edwards is 
And uh, there's, you know, if you want to call it a silver lining, of course, Ravens fans are definitely very hurt to not see J.K. Dobbins. But I'm not going to lie. I tweeted and said, I would love to see an alternate universe where Gus Edwards is the by far RB1 on an average rushing attack. Two days later, J.K. Dobbins tears his ACL. It's awful. You feel for J.K. Dobbins. But it's going to be interesting to see what Edwards can do because he has worked on his game so much from those read option days I was talking about in 2019 being the downhill threat while Lamar Jackson runs to the outside. It's the exact opposite. Now Lamar Jackson's the one running up the, uh, the B gap on those bash, those quarterback counters and Gus Edwards taking handoffs to the outside. JK Dobbins definitely had a little more speed, but if you want to go back and watch that uh, giants game from, I think week 15 for the Ravens, Edwards had a couple perimeter carries uh, against a pretty good giants defense. He's, he made hay against the Cleveland Browns in that, you know, famous poo-poo game where Lamar Jackson goes to the locker room. He had several outside carries there. And uh, he actually, I, I believe from a buddy of mine who charted it, I think he was averaging eight yards a carry on bash concepts as a runner. So he, uh, he can sneak up on you and you think that he's going to be this downhill guy because he is so prolific, but the dude can, can rumble in space. He rattled off like a 45 yard run against the chiefs in week two of last year. Uh, to the outside, I believe. So it's it, it makes sense, and he is better downhill uh, consistency-wise, and that is his best skill set, you know, in comparison with his NFL peers. But the man averages, you know, five and a half yards a carry every year. Uh, there's, there's a reason to it. If you want to go look at rushing yards over expectation or you want to go look at EPA or points earned or any of those kind of advanced metrics, Gus Edwards is top five, especially last year. So uh, I do think he has a very full robust skill set that he's worked on tirelessly. Uh, he is still, you know, I don't, I don't want to say he's a good pass catcher as a back and I wouldn't say he's good in pass pro, but he was aberrant in pass pro as a rookie. He got a little better in 20, uh, 2020. So uh, he's taken some strides there. He's, he's not necessarily that, you know, well-rounded pass pro back that you can trust in any situation. He will get beat there. Uh, I definitely think that's probably his weakness, but uh, I think he's going to be a 250 touch guy who goes well over a thousand total yards and, and eclipses 10 touchdowns this year. If he's able to stay healthy. Well, no, don't I feel stupid. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like the Raiders have their hands full, even without Dobbins. So be uh, unfortunately for all the Raider fans listening, no breaks, uh, no breaks on the uh, Monday night opener on the ground. It'll still be a, a solid rushing attack for the Ravens. Uh, but on the outside, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier as well. Probably the biggest weakness for the Ravens offense in recent years has been their wide receivers. So I'm curious, you know, what's your outlook for this position group? You know, I know uh, Rashad Bateman's injured. I'm not 100% sure. It kind of sounds like, like he's iffy to play against the Raiders. Um, but is there anyone else that you think should uh, with, uh, that you think the Raider fans should look out for or anything like that as on the wide receiver position? What's your outlook for that? So in about 18 hours, we'll know whether Rashad Bateman's put on IR. And gotcha. misses the first three games. I, uh, if I was a, if I was, well, I am a betting man, but if I was going to bet on it, if I was forced <laughs> to bet on it, I would say he starts on the IR. Uh, gotcha. It wouldn't shock me to see him make a quick comeback. The Ravens have been pretty mum on whether he had an abductor injury or hernia. An abductor injury, he could be out until November. A hernia injury, he could be back in week one or week two. Uh, that would be a little bit quick, but it wouldn't be unprecedented by any means. Uh, so I don't think. Bateman is going to be available. I might be made wrong very shortly, but aside from him, Sammy Watkins has been banged up. Uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Sammy Watkins was a really frustrating signing for a lot of Ravens fans because number one, he's had so many injury problems. Number two, he's, you know, I don't want to say he's over the hill, but he's definitely not in his peak. 
Uh, Ravens fans were really big on Corey Davis or Kenny Galladay and some of those guys. I personally thought Corey Davis would have been an awesome uh, decision to allocate capital to a receiver that blocks his tail off, that comes from a very heavy rushing attack and can win on the outside. He's got size. He's got speed. He's able to sink his hips really well, all those things. So they end up going with Watkins a little bit cheaper. Uh, my takeaway from that was if he is your only move, if you don't go get, and Rashad Bateman was for Raiders fans who don't know, and I assume it's a lot of them. He was the Prince who was promised throughout the draft process. Right. I've been on that guy since 2019. Perfect <laughs> fit for Lamar Jackson. He does exactly what they lack. He's got that kind of Goldilocks size and skill set where he's not too big, not too small, not too fast, not too slow. You know, everything you want to say, and he's an outstanding route runner. So uh, if he's unable to go, that's going to be a loss. Sammy Watkins has looked great in camp, but he's also been missing in camp for the last 10 days. <laughs> and they've been pretty quiet about that as well. Uh, Marquise Brown missed every day from the second day of camp until the 20 or excuse me, the 30th of August, which was yesterday as we're recording. Uh, I think Marquise Brown's outstanding. I think he's one of the more underrated receivers in the league. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson struggled to hit him on time last year far too much. The Ravens had pass protection issues last year. That caused Lamar Jackson's feet to get very inefficient in the pocket. So he wasn't able to get the ball out and kind of load up and unload as quickly as he should have. So he ended up missing Marquise Brown, who's five foot nine, 170, 175 pounds, uh, making He's him have to go, go up and get the ball instead of hitting him in stride down the field when he was wide open. I think that was one of the biggest issues for Lamar Jackson last year was specifically Marquise Brown. But now that they have Watkins, now that they have Oliver, now that they have Tylen Wallace, I think Devin Duvernay is ready to take a step. Devin Duvernay is a guy who runs 4'4". Four, four. He's about 205, 210 pounds. He's very thick cut, kind of like a running back. But he improved his releases under Keith Williams and T. Martin. Keith Williams, the Ravens brought in as a pass game specialist uh, after David Culley goes from the receivers coach and pass game coordinator to Houston as their head coach, which was a surprising move. But uh, they bring in Keith Williams. He is the personal trainer for Devontae Adams, for Tyreek Hill, for Sammy Watkins, actually, uh, and all these really top shelf receivers. He was an offensive coordinator throughout the FBS ranks a few years ago. Uh, so he's been really working on releases throughout camp. And that is going to benefit someone like Devin Duvernay, who is much more of a linear kind of athlete that lacked twitch and uh, having kind of the ability to contort or sell or fake in his routes. And he's been burning people deep. He has been able to, to sell his releases, get DBs flat-footed or in neutral with him. And if you get a DB in neutral, you're Devin Duvernay, you're going to run by most of them a lot, a lot, a lot of the time. So uh, he's an interesting player who kind of is a flanker, is a Z. He doesn't have to get pressed right at the line of scrimmage. He gives himself a little bit of a runway. He also can work as a manufactured touch guy, kind of like a Debo Samuel uh, for, for those who are familiar with yeah, well, I guess not in the Bay Area anymore, but the former, I kind of, I guess you guys probably pay yeah, attention. I, I pay attention to Washington. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, there's still enough Bay Area fans. I don't think we all, we all left as a Bay Area Raider fan. But yeah. you, you kind of yeah. see what's going on it. across the we pond. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. The right. Niners are always on our radar. We always got to have a better record than the Niners. Exactly. Exactly. Which so is a losing proposition in the last few years, but <laughs> that, that's besides the book. Well, well last year, last year was yeah. kind of a lose-lose on both sides for you there. I mean, we at least beat we we had better record than the Niners. We'll take that. One. Right, right, exactly. Take we'll the more all my take Bay Area Raider fans. We'll take our small victories. Hey, you, love to hear it. Love to hear it. But yeah, so Duvernay is a guy that I think is going to be in ways used to offset the loss of Dobbins, who is so explosive 
with the football in his hands, getting him touches on boots where he runs a beneath route and kind of just goes out into the flat or he was the Ravens leader in screens. He caught nine last year, uh, jet sweeps, fly sweeps, those kinds of things as well. So all those guys are definitely going to be a factor. Uh, we'll see what happens with Sammy Watkins, but right now I, I would say, you know, Tylen Wallace might be a little under the radar coming out of Oklahoma state, a guy that got first round buzz before he tore his ACL look darn sharp throughout camp. Doesn't drop the football. Uh, his great body control goes up, attacks the ball, high points it, good hands. And, uh, made a couple plays there throughout training camp and ends up uh, reeling in a, a touchdown in the final preseason game. So he's definitely one to watch. Uh, but ultimately, you know, you're going to be looking at Mark Andrews. You're going to be looking at Marquise Brown as long as he's fully healthy. He they, It was rumored they kind of really nursed him and were like, we need gotcha. this hamstring gone completely in the past. So well, he's uh, another it's, it's going to be had, those guys. He's another guy that's had kind of injury issues uh, throughout his career too. So I can kind of understand where they're coming from on that aspect. Yeah, there's these rumblings. The Ravens were really upset that Marquise Brown was injured. And it was like, well, you drafted him with two screws in his foot. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure what you want there. Yeah, not sure what the expectation was. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, one last question on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, One of the biggest front losses for Baltimore this season has to be tackle Orlando Brown. Um, What are the Ravens losing in Brown, and do you think Alejandro Villanueva will be able to pick up where he left off? Well, it's just really interesting. So the Orlando Brown Jr. saga, so to speak, was (laughs) really strange, really, really strange. He wanted to play left tackle. It was a promise he made to his father in high school that – Maybe he was taken a little bit too literally uh, when he was <laughs> playing in high school and it's at the NFL level. So, I mean, who knows? Orlando Brown Sr. played right tackle for Baltimore for years. Um, but ultimately, you know, Orlando Brown, as soon, apparently as soon as Ronnie Stanley got his extension last year, <laughs> Zeus Jr. had a meeting of the five families. He got his agent, his mentor, his family, and he was like, I got to get out of here, which was like uh, – Okay, of course you do. As soon as the Ravens have bookend tackles, really high-level tackles, you know, <laughs> you look at Ryan Ramchak and Teron Armstead or, uh, you know, what, what was Lane Johnson and Jason Peters at one point right. or Tyron Smith and Leo Collins or all these situations. And, of course, the Ravens can't just, just have nice things there. <laughs> so he, uh, he goes out. It is what it is. The Ravens get a return for him. They end up drafting Odafe away. But Villanueva somehow – is one of maybe three tackles that actually are capable of starting in the NFL that are taller and have longer arm length than Orlando Brown, uh, six foot eight to six foot nine, 83 and a half to 85 inch arms. So the length is still there. And as a pass protector, it's so different going from Pittsburgh who throws the ball about as any, right. as much as any other team in the NFL last year to Baltimore and Villanueva spoke about that ad nauseum. 
He is working on switching from the left side to the right side and the motor mm-hmm. skills and all that good stuff. So you expect him to maybe round into form a little later in the season in terms of being really polished. But Villanueva is a lot more mobile. I think that he fits the Ravens' desire to be able to run more inside zone and general zone concepts as a more athletic guy who can occupy space, downfield, can you know move, reach a linebacker. Whereas Orlando Brown wasn't consistently able to do those things. He's a 360-pound guy who uh, you know doesn't move very well in space. So Villanueva, there's probably going to be a little bit of a drop-off in terms of kind of sheer stopping force and uh, kind of the polish and youth that Orlando Brown had on the right side. Orlando Brown is a lot more of a technician than people realize. Uh, mm-hmm. He, he you know, can put people on their backside from time to time, but playing with Lamar Jackson, who next-gen stats has a really interesting stat. Since Lamar Jackson had his first start, opposing pass rushers, the general just team, takes, I think the last pass rusher takes 0.94 seconds to cross the line of scrimmage. It was like 12, 21% slower than any other team. In other words, you don't want to run past him because he's just going to run right up right, field. If right. you get behind him, if you get even with him, he's gone. He's gone. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, if you get even, he's leaving. So that's going to help Alejandro Villanueva, who's not going to need to worry as much about the speed rush when with having a Ben Roethlisberger Plus the Ravens use a lot of pass, uh, a lot of play action. And there's also not as many true dropbacks as a team like Pittsburgh. So you think that they can kind of mask some of his shortcomings. Is he as effective in the run game? Hell no. He is not as effective in the run game as Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown was a, a walking win as a run blocker. I think Villanueva will struggle with some of the more athletic uh, run stuffing defenders. You know, they're probably going to have to, uh, if Jadevian Clowney can stay healthy, I imagine he'll be on the right side. TJ Watt's going to be on the right side. Which will be a fun matchup for two, you know, former Steeler versus TJ Watt and all that good stuff. So I, I think you can get about 80%, long story short, of the quality of play of Orlando Brown, which isn't bad, but you know, you're gonna miss it a little bit, uh, especially if Ronnie Stanley's not able to round into the all pro form that he was at any point this season, coming off of a tough ankle break. But right. uh, if Ronnie Stanley's able to play at a high level, Villanueva you can live with, he's not on the blind side, and he's gonna have a little bit of an advantage and a run first offense that. Uh, is going to have Lamar Jackson making opposing pass rushers fear running by him. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I went back to one of the last games in the Coliseum or the year before the last year in the Coliseum when we were in the, we were in Coliseum purgatory, I'll call it. Um, I actually went to a Steelers uh, Raiders game and got sideline passes. And by far the most physically impressive dude was like Alejandro Villanueva, like obviously like NFL players, everyone's going to be huge and like massive and whatnot, but he was just the one dude that like stood out and like just comparing body types between him and like Orlando Brown, who I think we, uh, we all kind of know what, what uh, where he's uh, fits on the, the old scale and the old BMI index. But yeah, I mean, he was always a guy that like just physically was impre- impressive to me and whatnot, but I can see where you're coming from for, with him not being uh, as effective as uh, Orlando was against uh, as a run blocker. Yeah, it should help with the zone concepts. They bring in Zeitler. They move Bradley Bozeman over to center. The Ravens basically couldn't run inside zone duo or really a ton of outside zone last year. They didn't have athletes on the offensive line, and that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. So Villanueva is going to be able to reach, uh, get to the second level, combo block, do some of those things. So while he might not be as high level as Orlando Brown is, especially against the run, He's going to allow the Ravens and, and what they did in general this offseason is going to allow them more variety in their run scheme. And that's going to create even more headaches for opposing defenses and having to game plan for it, read your keys of it. It's going to lead to more flat feet, wrinkles you can have with Lamar Jackson. It's going to open up uh, some under center work, which the Ravens have implemented 
They are the most prolific shotgun and pistol team in the NFL over the last, you know, two and a half years since Lamar Jackson took over. And they've been running straight five-step drops from under center. And they look damn good. Tyler Huntley even looked good doing them. Uh, it's, it's something that's going to catch, I think, especially some early opponents like the Raiders, like the Chiefs by surprise, kind of reminiscent of Joe Flacco and some pro-style offenses, five-step drops and running speed outs to Derek Mason in 2008. Uh, so I think it'll be an interesting situation to monitor. I think that's going to catch, especially the first two or three opponents by surprise. Awesome. Well, while we're talking about uh, off-season additions and subtractions, Las Vegas added uh, Yannick Gakaway, who spent about half the season last year at Baltimore. Um, what do you kind of, what do you think Raider fans can expect from Gakaway this season? And how do you think uh, he'll be missed on, or how missed do you think he'll be on the uh, Ravens defense? Ngakwe brings explosiveness. He is one of the maybe five most explosive pass rushers in terms of get off the Ravens liked him because of that. And I think that's why they brought him in. He didn't fit exactly uh, because he is, you know, a little bit smaller. He's not as able to engage against the run and play as, you know, kind of almost an every down player, even though really no outside linebacker plays hundred percent of snaps because they would probably die. But uh, Ngakwe, he has a rare ability to threaten tackles in their verticals, in their vertical sets. And if you can get a tackle that is not quick enough, he is going to get to the quarterback. They played the Titans last year who had Taylor Lewan go down and Gakwe forced a fumble that ended up getting called an incompletion, but it was definitely a fumble. Anyway, <laughs> um, he, he messed up. Jedrick you need to Wills talk to pretty Raider good. fans about a fumble. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, he messed up Jedrick Wills pretty good a couple of times, uh, threatening vertical sets. So he allowed the Ravens to who, Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator loves to run game. He loves to use, TE stunts or delayed blitzers or loopers or anything in between. So having a right end that was able to force the tackle to, you know, emergency fight or flight vertical set opens up a gaping hole that you can then loop into the B gap or the C gap and bring someone in the quarterback. If you having Yannick Ngakwe either winning or running around their backside, where do they have to step up? up and to the left. So then you can perfectly counter with those delayed blitzers with some of those crossing stunts by having someone fill that space. The Ravens use that. So some sack assists were definitely a big move. Ngakwe has probably the best cross chop in the NFL. Uh, that has been a prolific move for him. I want to say at least probably 40, 50% of his sacks in the NFL are on a cross chop. It is a defined move. He also does have an inside counter. I think that he has lost his sense of hand placement, converting speed to power in the last couple of years, which is why he hasn't been quite as prolific. Uh, we were thinking, you know, the Ravens trade for him. Maybe Clayus Campbell will be able to encourage him a little bit. He can't really walk guys back or doesn't appear uh, interested in doing it quite as much. So he has more of a two-way go than a three-way go. If he can convert speed to power and get back to doing that, he has all pro potential as a pass rusher at any given time. That was the one thing that he lacked. I thought Yannick Ngakwe was an outstanding addition. I think he's severely underrated. I think the Raiders got a good deal. But the Ravens build their defense back to front. I know we're going to talk about the secondary. So they kind of just decided to go cheaper and go youthful. And they you know, have Marlon Humphrey on a monster deal. They have Marcus Peters on a really big deal. They have Chuck Clark, who they paid. They have Deshaun Elliott, who they're probably going to want to pay. They have Tavon Young. They invested picks into the secondary. They uh, have Anthony Aver, who they like a lot as well. So I think that they just... Wanted to try to go for a market inefficiency where, you know, would they love a Joey Bosa or a Nick Bosa or a TJ Watt or a Miles Garrett? Yes, of course they would. 
Well, guess what? Those guys usually are drafted in the top 15 and the Ravens don't pick <laughs> there. So yeah. it's kind of hard to go get one of those guys. Uh, would they love to have it? Yeah. But they just kind of backed off of Judon. They backed off of Ngakwe. And we're like, all right, we're going to not settle for the B-list pass rusher. We're going to go for market inefficiency, draft Odafe away, keep Pernell McPhee. They re-signed Tyus Bowser, who was an awesome, awesome, awesome Swiss Army knife. Going to have a great year this year, I think. Definitely a breakout player to watch out for uh, if you don't know a lot about the Ravens. But uh, I think that he's definitely going to bring. Ngakwe is going to be a 40, 50-plus pressure guy. He's going to get you at least seven, eight sacks if he stays healthy. Uh, and if he can get back that bull rush, man, he can get 15 sacks. He can get 80 pressure. So I think Raiders fans will definitely like Ngakwe, especially pairing him with Max Crosby on the perimeter. Uh, and in Gus Bradley's defense, hey, he's going to get to pin his ears back. He's going to get to rush a lot. And he's going to you know, not have a ton of responsibility against the run necessarily. He's not going to have to drop into coverage, which are things that the Ravens asked him to do a little bit. And that's not quite in his wheelhouse. So I think he's a much better fit in a Gus Bradley defense. Awesome. I mean, I'm kind of curious, you know, you bring up uh, Udafe uh, Owe, and he was a guy that, you know, I'm a big draft nut, and he was a guy that, you know, immediately jumped off the page as being like that athletic freak that, you know, almost seemed like he didn't belong on the defensive line, right? Because he was just so, so quick. And like you were talking about with Yannick, you know, he can kind of expletive you with the get off and get that, get that explosion. I felt like I saw that from him at Penn State. And then the other thing you were talking about that I kind of uh, jogged my memory was him being able to, or the Ravens trying to execute a lot of stunts, which, it's another area where I think, you know, always going to be a big, a big factor. So I'm curious, you know, how confident are you that the Ravens have found that uh, suitable replacement for Ngakwe? Do you think uh, always going to be that guy or is it maybe going to be somebody else? So they did bring in Justin Houston as well. And right, right. he is the replacement for Ngakwe. And gotcha. Houston is not as explosive anymore as Ngakwe. He doesn't have that same raw get off, but he does have a more effective speed to power, more effective bull rush mm-hmm. at this point in time. Uh, based on what we saw last year, last couple of years. So they just went older, cheaper. I think you can get 80. Again, the Ravens rule, Ozzie Newsom's rule from the beginning of time has always been 80-20, 80% of the play for 20% of the pay. If you can get a roster full of those guys, you're going to have great depth and a good bit of talent. Uh, and you're going to be better suited if guys get hurt. So then speaking of OA, OA is a really interesting player. The Ravens typically never draft players. I, I did a profile on kind of Ravens draft thresholds or uh, kind of tendencies, they value sack production typically exponentially. They love sacks production in college. Away had no sacks last year. Mm -hmm. I think that was just kind of a bull crap stat. And you hear Wink Martindale talk about it. He says he thinks sacks are the most, uh, you know, uh, overrated stat defensively because there's so little context to how you get a sack, which is why Brandon Thorne, who works for CBS Sports and uh, a couple other affiliates and, and things of that nature, he has a really interesting chart that he keeps called high quality sacks and low quality sacks. Uh, so he doesn't chart, you know, a guy getting blocked for five seconds and Patrick Mahomes runs around and then somebody finally gets right. him on the ground. He doesn't chart that as a, as a sack. He just charts, you know, did he win with a bull rush? Did he win with a rip? Did he win with a, you know, a, a ghost? Did he win with a club? You know, was, was it a, a, a cross chop like Yannick Ngakwe does? So away had a lot of high quality pressures, but very little sacks. Um, you've watched the Indiana game. He had 10 pressures that game had mm-hmm. four quarterback hits and no sacks. So it was a little bit strange. I, I kind of almost ruled a way out. The Ravens have never drafted an edge rusher in the draft who had below eight and a half sacks, uh, aside from, I believe it was John Simon a few years ago out of Ohio state was the only one. So eight and a half career sacks. Oh, didn't have that. 
uh, they, there's a couple other, he met every other threshold basically. So the guy that I thought was a perfect fit for the Ravens, and I still am a little disappointed they didn't get was Joe Tryon. Uh, I thought he was a little bit of a better fit for what Baltimore does, but always a really, really, really high level run defender at Penn state. He was asked to line up in a four inside shade a lot, which is not a, it's really difficult to get a sack out of playing four eye. You're between the tackle and the guard who are the best pass blockers on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you know, not able to threaten with speed because you're lined up inside of the tackle. So you're not going to get a ton of sack production there, but he was an outstanding run defender. Uh, Kirby smart at George always talks about low gear versus high gear. Uh, you have to kind of, there's always context. And then you want to go look at, you know, first and second down are going to be a little different for an outside linebacker or for a defensive end and third down especially third and like five or six known passing situations or probable passing situations. So people watch reps from Odafe away where he is not gunning downhill off the snap. He's not lined up outside shade of the tackle. He's playing in low gear. In other words, he's playing the run. He's diagnosing, he's locking out, he's trying to get vision. He's expecting run. He has run responsibilities. He's a key run defender. But then when you go do look at those third down passing situations, he was a lot more productive, a lot more pressures, had sacks the year before in his uh, uh, 2019 season, things like that. So the Ravens were enamored with him. I think you mentioned the stunts. He can run. He is a yes. fast linebacker. He <laughs> is maybe the fastest player on their defense in a, in a straight line. Um, he can fly, man. And having that player replace Matt Judon more so, who had a trident of responsibilities between the pass, between the run, between pass rushing uh, is going to be a little bit more what they, they ask of a way to be the field defender where there's space. You know, if the Raiders are lined up on the left hash, always probably going to be lined up off of the right tackle because he is going to be the one who runs the long sideline and chases guys down. So if he can do that effectively, if he can beat up on tight ends, if he can drop back into coverage and help be part of the deceptive defense that Wink Martindale deploys, then I think he's going to be a good player. But I still think I would have gone with Joe Tryon over OA. Yeah. Well, one side note, side note on OA. I'm just curious: is he still playing Gunner, or was that just like one? Uh, was that just like one rep that went crazy on social media? Because I mean, I'll tell you, I watched it. I'm like, that was a pretty damn good rep. But I mean, like you talked about, he's an athletic freak. Might be the fastest player on their defense at defensive end. So I'm curious: is that something he's still doing, or what? Is that going to be? I believe he. Uh, I believe he played one more rep there than following week, if I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. Uh, it was interesting because Adelius Thomas, quite a few years ago, was a guy that lined up at boundary corner free safety, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, nose tackle, three technique <laughs> uh, in, in one defensive season. I think he had 30 snaps as a corner at 270 pounds. And then he ends up playing for the Patriots, kind of getting hurt there, had one productive season. So kind of reminiscent of that, but away uh, said that they just kind of liked what he was doing on special teams. They thought it'd be fun. He asked if he could do it. He got stuck over there and he was a terror. So I'd love to see it keep happening. I would too, man. I, like I said, man, I felt like he did exactly what his job. And I mean, if you're a 195 pound, a 205 pound corner going out there to go jam a 250 pound defensive end, that's just as fast as you. That's an intimidating thing. I, I like him as a gunner there. Hopefully they, hopefully we get a few regular season snaps without him out there. I'll be, that'll be fun to watch. Awesome. Right. The other aspect is trying to ask him to block punts because of that speed too. So true. Awesome. Doing true. some different, different variations there. Awesome. All right, well, let's wrap, wrap things up talking about the secondary. Baltimore might have the best uh, starting corner duo with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. And, I mean, Jimmy Smith, is a he's a strong third option. So, I guess my question is, what weaknesses do you see the, the Ravens having in that secondary, if any? 
It's a great question. <laughs> um, the Ravens like to ra- play press man, and they have Marcus Peters, who can excel right. in his own scheme. Um, Marlon Humphrey, you know, doesn't really have a weakness. I would say the, the weakness of Marlon Humphrey specifically is probably just that he's so physical that he, it does lend itself to pass interference. Gotcha. So trying, it's just a, it's a difficult tightrope because you kind of want to try to take advantage of it. The Titans actually did that in that, you know, kind of shocking wild card blowout or excuse me, divisional round blowout in the 2020 uh, divisional round in Baltimore. And they took advantage of it, got a deep PI. Uh, they got another one in the wild card last year. AJ Brown drew a pass interference from him. So it's difficult because you need to be, you can't engage him enough to make it kind of a gray area because if an offensive player starts playing physically and the defensive player reciprocates, that doesn't lend itself to pass interference as much as if the, if the defensive player is just kind of playing that way. Marlon Humphrey has shut down Odell Beckham for that very reason. Odell starts getting frustrated. He starts smacking. He starts hitting. He starts trying to very violently shed. That's going to make a referee less likely to call defensive pass interference. So, I I mean, I really don't know what the answer is. (laughs) If you can catch the Ravens in a cover three look by using a tight split formation and you can catch them in a single high and run some double moves, uh, you know, Henry Ruggs can fly, gotcha. but Marlon Humphrey has the speed, has the ability to cut those guys off. I, I would just kind of say, you know, tight ends, Darren Waller, gotcha. I would think yeah. is more the area to look and, and go get those matchups. Chuck Clark is a strong coverage defender, but he's six foot, 200 pounds. Uh, Tony Jefferson kind of got dunked on by a lot of Ravens fans a lot because he would be tasked with covering tight ends at five foot 11, you know, 205. You're not going to really cover Darren Waller that well at that size, right, uh, no right. matter what it is. So if you're able to get some one-on-ones there with Darren Waller, I think that is the absolute weakness. Ravens are going to have a really, really tough stretch. They start out with with Las Vegas, Darren Waller, then Kansas City, Travis City. Kelsey, then Detroit, TJ Hawkinson, then Denver, Noah Fant. Four of the top probably 10 and two of the top three tight ends in the NFL. So I would be looking to try and maybe test Marcus Peters, I guess, with rugs and then <laughs> trying to just really work the ball to Renfro, working the ball to Darren Waller, um, trying to attack the linebackers in coverage, using more heavy personnel and then throwing against it is probably a good idea. Uh, it, it's just tough. And Tavon Young comes back, who has been one of the best slot corners in the NFL when healthy, but he's never healthy. Uh, and Anthony Averett mm-hmm. is probably the third option on the outside right now and maybe in the slot a little bit. And uh, Jimmy Smith does have an ankle injury. He might be on the IR, but gotcha. uh, he's he's probably the best coverage defender for Darren Waller. He played really well against Travis Kelsey last year, but he has an ankle issue right now and is always hurt as well. So uh, I would I would definitely be trying to attack tight ends, take advantage of maybe Patrick Queen, Josh Jacobs, and Kenyon Drake, and uh, deploy them as passing options and, and see what you can get there more so than, than trying to pick on Marlon Humphrey. There was a, a really funny part of camp that almost felt like the offense scripted it. Marlon Humphrey had maybe a couple average days by his standards. Uh, and the Ravens decided when Lamar Jackson had come back to try and throw five consecutive five consecutive passes at Marlon Humphrey in full team 11 on 11. It resulted in an interception and four pass breakups in five consecutive plays. So picking on him specifically is not yeah. a good idea. But, hey, test Tavon Young, test those safeties with Darren Waller, test those linebackers. Corners are a strength, and that's not a good place to look. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you bring it up, obviously, Darren Waller's going to be – Darren Waller's going to be a key to the Raiders' offense, you know, weeks one through 18 or whatever we're going through now, you know, except for the bye week, basically. So I'm just curious, you know, knowing that, if you're Wink Mark- Martindale, would you almost, like, think to put – we'll just put Marlon Humphrey man-on-man against Darren Waller instead of, you know, you know, basically – you look at the Raiders, the rest of the Raiders receiving courts, you know, it's a lot of guys that are rather unproven. So would you almost think that would be, could you see that being a matchup, I guess, on Monday night where, you know, obviously Humphrey, you put your, your best defender against, you know, the Raiders best offensive player and best player on the team. I would think the Ravens are probably used more match zone concepts against Waller. Uh, they watched Patrick Queen struggle in coverage last year, a good bit, mm-hmm. and he's a little bit smaller. LJ Ford is out now. So it's going to be Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison on the inside. Um, I think Tyus Bowser is also an interesting option to end up covering Waller, particularly underneath. But I think they're going to try to pass Waller off, maybe use some combo coverage more so where you're creating maybe a triangle or a square of defenders and zone coverage and maybe trying to bait a throw from Derek Carr. Because if you're Derek Carr and you see man coverage, and you're able to use motion or use something to go trot out Darren Waller and say, oh, okay, I've got Darren Waller and Chuck Clark one-on-one in the slot. Where are you going with the football? You're going to Darren Waller. So uh, I think man is probably a bad idea. Marlon Humphrey, going to be an option? Yeah, sure. But I, I, I think they prefer to line him up on receivers. That's not something they've really ever done. Uh, it, it could be a surprise, but uh, I would anticipate if Jimmy Smith is healthy, they want to line him up there gotcha. a good bit. But I think it's going to be more of a, a two, three, four man job covering Darren Waller than trusting Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey to match up on those receivers. And I mean, hey, I'm not surprised that Brian Edwards comes into week one and shocks the hell out of the Ravens. Uh, the dude kind of reminded me of T.O. a little bit at South Carolina. He is chiseled. He is built. Maybe not quite as fast, but uh, if, if you can get him to go play super physical against Marcus Peters and get him the ball in space a little bit and, and start moving and being kind of like an AJ Brown type player. AJ Brown's a guy who's given the Ravens a lot of problems. So I, I think that might be the, the surprising aspect. I would expect Marlon Humphrey to probably line up with rugs uh, a little bit more. They, they don't really shadow when they have Peters and Humphrey, gotcha. but I would think that Marlon Humphrey is more effective at taking away speed. Uh, and I, I think that might be the matchup there and, and we'll see rugs a player. I really liked, I had a first round grade on and, uh, you know, I wasn't terribly surprised to see him be the first receiver taken, but from what I've heard, he's, he's gained some muscle. He's ready to work through some contact and Hey, Marlon Humphrey's going to give him more contact than probably any other cornerback will. So <laughs> he's going to get tested off the bat. Well, since you compared Brian Edwards to T.O., that means I have to compare him to Randy Moss now, right? Exactly. T.O., Randy Moss, Jerry Moss. Rice rolled into one. Yeah, exactly. And throwing Devonte Adams too. That's the guys, the guys, uh, going to Canton next year. <laughs> yep. He's going to skip the five-year process. He'll be the first exactly. active player playing, uh, with a, with a gold jacket. Awesome. So I'm curious, you know, yeah, we talked about the passing, uh, obviously the secondary a lot with the Ravens. So as far as running the ball goes um, against the Ravens defense, you know, is there a specific thing that you want to attack or anything like that? Obviously Josh Jacobs is going to be a big part of the Raiders offense this year. And Gruden loves to get that old school mentality of pounding the rock. Yeah, for sure. He does. He likes using Alec Ingold. He likes, uh, like some of his options there and, and some of his tight ends and, using some more under center and 22 personnel and 12 personnel and all that good stuff. So I, I would be hesitant uh, in ways. I think you can hit the Ravens when you catch their linebackers at depth, meaning five, six, seven yards off the ball. That's where I think Derek Carr needs to be checking to run plays. 
their young linebackers are very conscious, or I guess even you could just say self-conscious or insecure about their ability to defend the pass. Um, Malik Harrison's a very stoic player. He does. He is super athletic. Him and Tyus Bowser are actually only two of five players in the history of the combine that have ever been a linebacker designation, 6'3", 245, under a seven-second three-cone, under a four-six-five, and jumped at least 35 inches. Um, so he is a dynamic athlete, but he's very stoic. Patrick Queen is kind of the exact opposite. He has happy feet. He's very frantic. Uh, he, he, he will jump outside of his assignment in zone coverage very often. Uh, he'll you know, lose wars and battles in man coverage, getting a little bit too restless early in the rep, not allowing his athleticism to let him recover and things like that. So if you can catch them at depth, working side to side, there might be some cutback lanes, um, might be able to take advantage of some of those situations. I don't, and the Ravens are not a good team to run power concepts against because they practice against them so much. So they're very quick to diagnose them. But Patrick Queen, you know, the Patriots lit them up with that last year uh, with a really strong offensive line. Damian Harris, Cam Newton, able to, to do some damage to the Ravens front. So it's difficult because the Raiders have such a new offensive line. They, they lost a lot of continuity. And asking them to go beat up on Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell, and Derek Wolf, who yeah. As a three tech, a one tech slash nose, three tech slash zero tech, and then a five tech, or you know, each maybe top five at their position against the run. Um, so if you get those yeah. three guys in the field, no bueno. They they figured it out against Derrick Henry, held him to 40 yards in the playoffs. Uh, they are not fun to run against, but if you want to sneak attack them on second and long, third and medium, I think that's a great idea. And if you can get inside those young linebackers' heads, especially by picking on them in the passing game. You might be able to catch them flat-footed. You might be able to catch them over-pursuing or just getting a little frantic early on. Uh, I would be pretty shocked to see the Raiders able to kind of run the ball down the Ravens' throats, but crazier things have happened. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Again, you know, when I was look, doing research for this and kind of looking up on the Ravens, and I was just going through their depth chart, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know where the weak spot is on this defense. Like you're saying, like we're talking about, you know, having them having the two best the corner duos like in the NFL, and then you obviously got Clyde Campbell, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. Derek Wolf, who's a hell of a run defender, and I'm just sitting there like I, I mean, I'm at a loss. I don't know to tackle it. So it could be a could be a long night for the Raiders' offense, but hopefully they can uh, figure it out a little bit or whatnot. Yeah, awesome. I think definitely Derek Carr being able to kind of I think a key to playing the Ravens in general before we get out of here is is uh, getting the line quickly, running tempo, sniffing out their blitzes. When teams run tempo, it prevents the Ravens from being able to disguise their coverage, roll their coverage, and blitz like they want to. You get them out of playing their game. You can use hard counts to get them to show their intentions. And I think Derek Carr is really excellent at all of that. I think he has great command of his offense. Uh, he's a very high IQ player. Sometimes he's a little hesitant to get the ball out. I think that's really the only knock that I've seen on Derek Carr. You know, he can, can hold the ball too long when he sees things developing. But if you can get him in tempo, you can trap a bad package on the field where you've got Darren Waller, you know, against the Ravens base defense. Uh, and you're able to, to get some tempo going. That's where you can hurt them. It, it counters the blitzes. I think Derek Carr is a player that can sniff out the blitz uh, and, and pick up on some things like that. So that's definitely how to attack this defense, get them stuck in a bad matchup personnel wise, uh, and then push the tempo. That's what Tom Brady has classically done to the Ravens. That's what Ben Roethlisberger has done to the Ravens at times. So that is kind of their Achilles heel, but any offense that can run tempo effectively in the NFL gives defenses problems. So it's not impractical, but I think that definitely is the best method to attack. There you go, Raider fans. You get a, some praise from Derek Carr from someone outside of the organization. There we go. Awesome, Spencer. Thank you again for coming on, man. Uh, you know, everyone, give Spencer a follow on Twitter. Spencer, uh, you want to plug your handle real quick? 
Yeah, you can find my work at Ravens for Dummies. That's a number four. I post a ton, a ton, a ton of film content. Uh, in the offseason, I'm pretty annoying because there's not as much <laughs> film to go through, especially when NFL Game Pass decides to take away all 22. You can also find my work at Baltimore Beatdown. That is the SB Nation Ravens affiliate, uh, as well as Sports Info Solutions, which is pretty similar to PFF on the on the up and come. We're a little bit more premier in baseball, but uh, if you want to check it out there, they if you're into stats, if you're into charting and, and all that good stuff, I would highly recommend Pro or excuse me, Sports Info Solutions uh, Pro Data Hub. It is a little bit expensive, but you can do all kinds of cool stuff with packages, with motions, with blitzing, how many defenders are on the field. They have advanced metrics, all kinds of good stuff. If you want to educate yourself further and you don't feel like charting a game or, or you want to know more about your team and things like that, I'd definitely recommend the Pro Data Hub. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure and I'm excited to see what the Ravens can do and uh, see, see how this first game in front of fans in Allegiant Stadium goes. Yeah, I mean, fi- like you said it, man, finally we get some regular season football back, get some fans back in the stands, get, get back to a little bit of normalcy. So, yeah, I mean, definitely check out Spencer's page, um, even if you're not a Raider Ravens fan, I should say. Uh, you know, he's put us a bunch of good content out there, especially during the draft, get to know some people that uh, maybe myself, Marcus, and BD don't get to cover. But other than that, you guys know where to find me, at mholder95. Follow Silver and Black Pride, check us out. And outside of that, until next week, guys.